Hi everyone, I hope you're really well this week. Welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host, Zoe Blasky, where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and more alive, whatever that looks like for you. So maybe this podcast is going to inspire you to look at your health and self-care. Maybe it's thinking about your career and making work work for you. Maybe it's looking at your relationships or your relationship with yourself and finally addressing that inner critic and making a commitment to being kinder to yourself. So I chat to all sorts of well-being experts and game changers to help you become your healthiest, happiest and most alive version of you because that is what I think is the most inspiring thing to become for our children. So welcome to this week's episode. It is with Elaine Halligan, who is a parenting specialist. She is also director of The Parenting Practice and the author of a brilliant book, which I devoured in one sitting, called My Child's Different, which is about her incredible journey with her son, Sam, who was expelled three times by the time he was just seven. Then Elaine quit her job, learnt positive parenting over many years, and incredibly, Sam finished his schooling as head boy. It's a really inspirational story and I think you're going to, it's just, you're just going to love it. I can't wait for you all to hear it. So in this episode, we chat about what to do if your child is different in any way. Arguably all children are different, but Elaine talks specifically about neurodiversity, as she calls it. I believe in neurodiverse children who have behaviour that's different from typical learners, So I don't believe that there are naughty or problem children. I think all children are just unique. And what we need to do as adults, whether we're parents or teachers, is understand much more about behavior. There is always a reason for behavior. We talk about positive parenting, what it is, how it can help us and our children and how to do it. And we also talk about esteem. Elaine talks a lot about STEAM, the importance of STEAM, of building it in our children so that they can see the best in themselves, despite perhaps having something different about them, they might see the world differently to everyone around them. Everything is about getting them thinking for themselves, acting for themselves, problem solving, and they can only do that when they feel good about themselves. So I hope you really enjoy it. Whether this directly relates to you, if you do have a child who's neurodiverse or whether you know a child that's neurodiverse or if that doesn't apply to you at all, I think you're really still going to enjoy the episode. I hope you do. As ever, if you did, please leave a review, share with your friends and pop over to Instagram and have a chat with Elaine and I about it. Here it is. So Elaine, welcome to the Motherkind podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you here, mainly because I just absolutely loved your book. Your book's called My Child's Different. It's all about your son, Sam, who we're going to talk about. What I loved so much about it was the honesty that you shared your journey and the hope. Yep. I'm going to get emotional because someone really really close to me has just been diagnosed with with behavioural... Um, so it's very pertinent to yeah, you Yeah, so now. it felt really mm. pertinent. And just the hope and mm. 
I just really loved it. So thank, thank you for you. writing it. Thank you. And thank you to Sam. I guess I've got to thank my son. Yes. Because I could not write this book without his permission. So actually, when he got to 21, I said to him, Sam, I don't know how you feel about sharing your story. And it's deeply emotional. It's really emotional because I share everything in the book. And you know what he said to me? He said to me, Mum, do you know what? I'm really proud of what I've achieved in life. And I know the contribution you and Dad have made to that. He said, let's get this story written. <laughs> so age 21, guy. he gave me permission to write his story. So tell us, that for people that haven't read the book, yeah. tell us about Sam and your family's journey with Sam. So I kind of knew early on that Sam was different. And round about the age of three, I'd be met at the nursery gate by the nursery teachers who would say, Mrs. Halligan, we've had a bad day again. It was always the role we... And they would give me a kind of record card of Sam and say he's not listening, he doesn't share, he's pushing other children, he's quick to anger, and we just don't have enough staff to care for him. And so at the age of three, he was already labelled as naughty. And I kind of had that sense that he was different. And I would talk to my family and friends and everyone would say the same thing. They would say, Elaine, he's just a boy. Have you ever had that? Yeah. yeah. He's just a boy. Yeah. Boys are a bit different oh, than boys girls. Boys are different. They've got more testosterone. They boisterous. develop differently. They're boisterous. He'll grow out of it. Or my son was just like that. But I absolutely sensed that he was different. And we would go to birthday parties. I'll never forget one occasion. Around about age three, Sam went to a birthday party and just stripped off naked in front of everyone and of course all the other kids in the birthday party were just laughing hysterically at him and all the other mums and dads were kind of looking at me I think with some pity and maybe a bit of judgment as well because we do judge actually when children present differently and I was just thinking this is not normal but because everyone was laughing and Sam was getting attention he was hardwired to get attention he would do anything to get attention and so by the age of five, I kind of sensed that something wasn't right. And I would be told, look, if things are not right, you will know in the first year of school. And I would say that's a really good indicator for parents. If they are concerned, you'll soon find out pretty quickly within the reception years. And by goodness, we found out quickly. And what happened in reception, and I have a hilarious story to share. I can laugh about it now. But when Sam was five, I got a phone call from the school that he was at in Wimbledon. Is this a state normal school? It, it was a private school. Okay. And actually, I made a big mistake. Oh, I made many mistakes along the way. And one of my mistakes was taking him out of a really wonderful Church of England state primary school and putting him into a private school because I thought that he would benefit from smaller class sizes. Big mistake. And he didn't last long. He lasted a year in this private school. But I will never forget the day he let the farmyard animals out. Oh, I, yes. Do you remember Oh, that? my gosh. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. And so one day he went to school and he just realised the school had a wonderful little farmyard. I think there was a pig, there was a sheep, there was a goat, and I think there were some hens. And Sam decided that these guys shouldn't be locked up and that actually they should be living on the back of Wimbledon Common. And so he waited for everyone to go into school, open the farmyard gate, let the animals out, except they did not go to Wimbledon Common and they migrated all the way down to Robin Hood roundabout on the A3. And so Sam Halligan, aged five, was responsible for causing traffic chaos on one of the main arterial roads in London. And of course, can you imagine when he did that? 
teachers, adults, children alike, all said to him, oh my God, Sam, that was such a stupid thing to do. That was such a silly thing to do. And how could you have been so naughty? And so very quickly, there were words in Sam's life that became killer words for him. And he just took on that self-persona as I'm a naughty boy. And if I'm a naughty boy, I'm going to do naughty things. So by the end of year one, he had been asked to leave the school. So when we got Sam back into school, I still sensed that things were not right. And all I can say is by the age of seven, he'd been expelled from three schools in so many years and he was just written off in society. And how did you cope with that? Did you blame yourself? Were you your wit's end? Like, how did your marriage cope even through... It was an emotional roller coaster. And you had another child as well. I had Izzy, Izzy, another child. And it was an emotional roller coaster. And, And you just vacillate between blaming your child. And I have to say, I bought into a parenting myth that kind of what children need is adults to be in control. And I did all the things that were wrong. I nagged him. I repeated instructions. I mean, I don't know any parent who doesn't do this, actually. I reminded. I pleaded with him. I cajoled. I bribed. I threatened. And ultimately, I punished and did things I deeply regretted. And I say to people, I became a shoutaholic. And I did all the things that just lowered his self-esteem. And I had to give up my career in the city. I was previously an accountancy lecturer and I had to give up my career in the city and I had to retrain because it seemed that no one could help my little boy. And at the age of seven, he had just been written off in society. Yeah, your marriage goes through testing times. But my husband did the most selfless thing. And he actually gave up his work to support me. I couldn't believe when I read that. I he was actually, just, what an incredible thing to do. He just took a sabbatical. And I think that's indicative that most parents don't give up on their children. You know, and I think most parents, you know, accept at some point that something has to change. And actually, we were at breaking point. And whilst all this was going on, we'd been referred to a place called CAMS. Have you heard of it? No. The Child, Adolescent and Mental Health Service. Okay, yeah. CAMS. And that was where the nonsense started. And we got label after label after All the, label. the diagnoses. The diagnostics, You, you yeah. called Sam tenderly the alphabet kid yes. because of all the acronyms that he got diagnosed with. So we were told, Mrs. Halligan, he's got Asperger's. He's on the autistic spectrum. Then we were told he has attention deficit disorder, ADD. Then we were told he had ODD. There's lots of three-letter abbreviations here. All with D in. ODD, oppositional defiance disorder. Yeah. Then we were told, I think he's dyspraxic, he's got sensory issues. And the day he got the diagnosis of PDA, which is not public displays of affection. What is PDA? Pathological demand avoidance. Right. I just came home and cried. And I just had a kid who was neurodiverse, definitely, because he could not cope at school. His behavior was quite extreme, but his behavior was all due to anxiety. And it's taken me years and years to realize that he was a super anxious child because he was being placed in an educational environment that he couldn't cope with. And the reason he couldn't cope with it, because he was severely dyslexic. Wow. So at the end of all this, all the psychiatrists and all the labels he got... His main issue was dyslexia 
together with a bit of language disorder. So he had very delayed speech and language. I want to ask you about this. Mm. What is your view then oh. on these labels that we give neurodiverse children? It's mm. a big question. I don't know if you feel comfortable talking oh, about sure. it. Oh, right? sure. I think okay. it's super important. Labeling is not helpful when we use a label to excuse behavior or to kind of pathologize. That's not helpful. But what is helpful is when we find out what our children's needs are socially and educationally. So take an ADD, an attention deficit disorder child who has a neurological condition. It's super helpful to understand where the behavior is coming from so that you can deal with it. Yeah, or, or get appropriate help. And get appropriate help yeah. or deal with it with medication. But I don't like the idea of labeling children children and pathologizing it or just excusing behavior but labels were super helpful to us to understand where the learning difficulties were coming from once you do have a diagnosis it's super important then to start working with your child to recognize their strengths so just because sam's dyslexic yeah that is not a hindrance it's absolutely not a hindrance it can be for our traditional educational system because sam is a square peg that traditionally in our education system, we are trying to shove into a round hole. That is never going to work. But dyslexia actually is a superpower. I know this because I've read the book, okay. but I'll ask you the questions. Okay. Like, um, did he finish his education? What happened? So he, you said he got expelled three, three times. times by the time he was seven. He what was happened next? We need to finish for two years. And I then you trained. Did, you were at home with him. Uh, no, we went to a behavioural timeout centre and I retrained as a behavioural specialist, gave up my career in the city and started to retrain, trying to understand that this little boy wasn't being a problem. He was having a problem. And our job was to try and help him with that problem. So similar to an iceberg, if you just focus on that tip of the iceberg, the behaviour, you'll never deep dive into Do you believe the in problem children? I believe in neurodiverse children who have behavior that's different from typical learners. So Sam presented to others as a problem, yeah? So I don't believe that there are naughty or problem children. I think all children are just unique. And what we need to do as adults, whether we're parents or teachers, is understand much more about behavior. There is always a reason for behavior. And Sam's behavior was born out of emotions. And those emotions were huge anxiety because he was being placed in an environment. It's like you and I, Zoe, going to work and it being in Chinese. Yeah. Can you imagine yeah. the amount of stress and anxiety caused? So Sam wasn't being a problem. He was just having this enormous problem. problem. And once we understand that, then we're empathetic and we can understand that people present differently in society across the board. There is a place for introverts. There's a place for extroverts. There's a place for Asperger's adults. That Everyone has a role to play. And it's about us as parents helping our children unlock their strengths and not overcome weaknesses. I absolutely do not believe in overcoming weaknesses. Those weaknesses, yeah, you can't be good at everything. But it's about targeting where you are good at. Mm. So he got back into the education environment at the age of nine in a specialist school. And that's when the magic started to happen. And to answer your question, did he finish his education? He finished it at a school called Morehouse, which is a big dyslexic boys' school down in Surrey. And he finished as head boy. Wow. 
And I don't say that to kind of boast or anything. I say that to really help your listeners understand that there is always hope. Well, that's why I tear up because that's what I got from your book was just... Did you cry? Yeah, God, I cried Mm -hmm. through most of it. With just the hope. Hope to me is the most precious feeling or gift we can give anyone in the world on any problem that we're facing. And I think Mm -hmm. there's no bigger challenge for a mother than someone who's facing a problem with their child. Mm -hmm. I think it cuts to the core, doesn't it? I mean, you've been through it. So I think the fact that you're sharing this hope is so powerful. And now he's at uni. We must have finished now, right? Zoe, can I tell you, I've probably got (laughs) enough material for another book. It is still a roller coaster. Is it? I have to be honest with you. It's still a roller coaster. He finished school as head boy. So he finished school feeling good about himself, confident. He went into the job market, earned a bit of money. And then realised with this money that he'd earned that he was passionate about cars. And so he went off to Italy, I think with £6,000, a car and a trailer, and came back with three Fiat Cinco Quintos (laughs) and started trading classic cars. Wow. And he hasn't stopped doing that. But after he did that for a year, he decided he did want to go to university. Went to a university called Oxford Brooks. Yep. Amazing for learning support. And Sam does not read or write. Wow. He uses voice recognition software. You will rarely, if ever, see him with a pen and paper. He can fill in forms, but he's never written an exam in his life. So throughout his schooling, he had a reader and a scribe. And when he goes to lectures at university, what happened was he would just be an auditory learner. No notes. Unbelievable. So he's a child. And he can't read. He can read at a very basic level. He doesn't read books, but okay. he can read at a basic level. Yeah. But so the writing, how would he read for his university course, audio books? Auditory and listening back to, it would all be recorded, so he'd listen back to it. So super amazing, isn't it? So Oxford Brooks is incredible. So if anyone's listening there, you, you may have parents with young kids, but you yeah. know, yeah. it's always no, worth I have, a, I have a really broad mix, actually. Oh, so, do you? Yeah, Good. there might Good. be some people listening. Um, amazing learning support. So he got the most incredible learning support. He got a tutor assigned to him to help him organize his coursework and he finished university and he got his first job in the city last September and then very something very interesting happened he came to me at Christmas and he said mum I think I'm a bit depressed Mm. now Sam is an extrovert how old is he now 23 okay okay he's an extrovert he's confident yeah he's a little boy who took all his clothes off when he was three (laughs) (laughs) yeah well that was for attention (laughs) but at Christmas he says I think I'm not very happy in my work Mm. so I kind of said and it wasn't my proudest parenting moment this (laughs) I was a bit cynical (laughs) just said welcome to the real world you know, you get up at seven, you get home hear, at seven. It's good to hear a very renowned and respected parenting coach admit that, I didn't, you, that you know, that I, you're not, you're not was, doing this perfectly. I didn't take him seriously because Sam is not a child who shows, showed signs of being depressed. But he just said, I'm struggling and I'm not enjoying it. I get up at seven, I leave at seven. I just said, look, that is the real world, Sam. You just need to kind of accept and get on with it. That wasn't helpful at all. By January, he said, really, I'm really not happy. And I've got my performance review tonight. And I just said, well, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to share with them how you feel? And he said, yeah, I may share with them. So did his performance review, came back from that. And he said, mom, it's the best day of my life. So I'm thinking, he's got a bonus. He's been promoted. And he said, no, it's the best day of my life. I am no longer in work. 
And what he meant by that was he was in a job that wasn't suited to him. His dyslexia was very exposed. The employers had noticed it. They noticed his personality had dropped. And together they came to the arrangement that he was going to be a good lever and move on. Wow. And he said, this year is going to be the best year of my life. Because he said, I am an entrepreneur. And for the last five years, he's been running a little business, buying and selling Land Rovers and Range Rovers and repositioning them globally. He knows everything about import, export. He's wow. building up a network of contacts, international trades. It's Because there's some interesting studies, which I'm sure you've read, around dyslexia and entrepreneurship. He is typical dyslexic. He yeah. is a typical entrepreneur. Yeah. yeah. You know, the studies that I've read indicate a dyslexic person in the world, you have to learn to think differently, think Correct. of solutions differently. And of course, those are all skills that are vital for, well, that's what entrepreneurship is, isn't it? So Sam has the soft skills in life. Academically, on paper, he is not the 3A star student. But practically, what he does have are the soft skills in so life. So why do we, and I can get a bit soapboxy about this, so I'll try, on, I'll try and avoid it. No, because I can get a bit ranty. <laughs> but why do we then, as a society, value the straight A's so much more? And we can say we don't really, but we do, because that's the way that our schooling yeah. system is set up. We are completely misguided. Because we are misguided by what the definition of success is. We are completely, we've been sold apart. We totally have, haven't we? Absolutely. And this is where I get soapboxy because I think the school system is set up. It was Correct. set up in the time when we were all encouraged to not think for ourselves, to go and work in the factories because that's what we needed. And I see that. And that's what I see as the school system is doing currently is it sets you up to go into jobs you know, that was my experience. I was a straight A student. I was very good academically. I fit the schooling system. Were you perfect penny? I was perfect penny. But what it did was it <laughs> yeah. landed me in a corporate career that wasn't suited bled to the life out of me. Because I'd never been encouraged to think I felt like I was in this machine. You've just hit on something. Gosh, there's so much I can say about that. I think our girls today, if any listeners have girls, it's really important. Well, that I have we, a girl, so I need to listen have, up. And you have a girl. It's really important and we get away from the perils of perfectionism. And I find a lot of girls are people pleasers. Yeah, I was. And what 100%. that happens is, inadvertently, you may go down a career path that actually is not suited to you, but you're doing it to please other people. And if I can share with your listeners, I was a chartered accountant. I did a law degree. I did everything in a corporate career to please my father because he praised me and he valued me based on results. Familiar tale. I have so, loads of coaching clients oh. who, who are in lives. And I ask them, who are you living this life for? And invariably, interestingly, it's often a father. It's very interesting. So it's a good segue there into talking about parenting skills and how important it is that we do not praise for outcomes. So what do we praise for? Super important that you praise for effort, attitude, progress and improvement as opposed to just the end results can you give us an example i know what you're talking about but can you give an example of the two differences so four-year-old comes with a painting can you just give the practical things that are not to say and what to say so and i'm generalizing here yes but, but most of us in society do something called evaluative praise and evaluative praise is the good boy, good girl, you're amazing, that's just brilliant, you're incredible, you're the best, that is the most beautiful picture ever. And if I was to praise you now, Zoe, and say I think you were just a fabulous parent, and I think you're doing the most amazing job with your daughter, 
How would that praise sit with you? Well, if you said it to me now, mm-hmm. I'd feel it was totally disingenuous. Yeah, because you've not seen me parent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But if I said to you, and I'm going to do some descriptive praise, and I'm going to make this up because you yeah. and I have only just met yeah. today. Yeah. But let's say you were a client coming to me and you'd submitted some background forms beforehand. I would say to you, I don't know you as a parent. But what I do know is that you are open-minded to learning. I do know by coming through and meeting with me and handing in your background forms that this appointment was super important to you. You arrived on time, which tells me you're organised. And I know by coming to get parenting advice, family life for you is the most important job you'll ever do. And you are determined to put every ounce and effort into making this the best job you do and bringing out the best in your children. That's what makes you a good parent. So it is super important for us to descriptively praise our children. So with the painting example, instead of saying, wow, that's the most gorgeous painting, it's a question of saying, whoa, do you know what I see here? I see a little girl who's really focused, really hard about getting the colors within the lines. I also see a little girl who's full of creativity Mm -hmm. because not only do you have a sunshine, but you've also put a rainbow in and you know the colors of the rainbow. So you've thought and processed hard about what colors go where. Yeah, that's what makes it a good job. And you've persevered. I can see some rubbings out here. And if you've rubbed out, it means you weren't quite happy with the first attempt and you tried again. Good for you. You gave it another shot. So we descriptively praise and our children. And what's that doing to the esteem of that little child? So, so the more descriptive they are, the more information we give, we give them more information to know what they can replicate again. And when we mention qualities and characteristics, it makes our children feel good about themselves. It's real praise. It's descriptive praise. And I'll give you a super simple example of how hard this is for parents to do, because we have something called a negativity bias. I don't know whether you've heard of that before. Yeah. There's something in our brain called the reticular activating system. Yeah. And let's say that you're going to buy a new car. I don't know, a Volkswagen Tourag or something. You go into the streets of Clapham and having made a decision to buy a new car, suddenly you see these cars everywhere and you think, God, it's not that they've just sprouted up. It's just that you've never noticed them before. Yeah. So our reticular activating system kind of looks for information that is important to us. Yeah. I always say what we focus on expands. Same idea. So in family life, let's say your little girl comes in from school, she hangs her coat up, she runs into the kitchen and dumps her book bag and shoes in the middle of the floor. We tend to focus on the stuff we think is important, which may be a tidy house, getting her to put her book bag away. And we kind of say to her, Annie, what are you doing dumping all that stuff in the middle of the floor? Come on, you know where your shoes should be. And what we fail to see is that she's done one of the three things she needs to do when she comes in from school. And so being positive and descriptively praising, we would always say, Annie, good for you, honey. You've done one of the three things you need to do when you come in from school. You've hung your coat up. You're a little girl in good habits and behaviours. Well done, you. I wonder which thing you're going to do next. And what would you say, because I wonder what some of the challenges that you get back when you tell parents this for the first time, because there's a feeling in, I think it's old school parenting, but I think lots of parents still parent in that way, that they're afraid of their children becoming arrogant. They're afraid of their children becoming soft. And they're afraid that if they don't tell their children to pick up the dam, how are they going to learn? Good question. So there's two elements to that. Can we create children with an 
overinflated ego or an overinflated sense of self-worth. Yes. And we do that by telling them they are brilliant, they're incredible, and they're the best. And they're special. And they're special. It's the one I hear a lot. So evaluative praise is actually damaging. Yeah? It can be damaging, especially calling your child super clever. And if you know anything about Carol Dweck's mindset research calling your child clever creates a fixed mindset yeah so look evaluative praise of the super duper marvelous praise will create children with an overinflated sense of ego and that's not good but descriptive praise develops children with a realistic sense of who they are and what they're valued for so descriptive praise is the biggest motivator does that mean if you descriptively praise that you're not going to have any form of positive discipline or any form of boundaries absolutely not so there's kind of three principles to positive parenting that i think people may find helpful oh, please share yeah. yeah 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 one is be positive and the way you're positive is the way you talk to your kids with descriptive praise and the way you listen to your children super important that we are emotion coaches for our children we need to validate their emotions, even if we may not buy into them. So that sibling rivalry that's all about jealousy, which we think is an incredibly negative emotion, and we may want to deny and dismiss it and pretend it's not there. Don't be silly. Yeah. yeah. We, we need to recognize it. So that's one aspect of parenting is listening and talking. That's the positive bit. The second aspect of being a positive parent is being firm. So this is not a wishy-washy way of parenting. You need your values. So those shoes that are sitting in the middle of the floor, yeah, they need to be picked up. But we're going to do it positively, giving children a framework to know how to be successful. And that's all about implementing rules. And interestingly, your rules come out from your value system. And this is one area I find parents really struggle with because rarely do they sit down and work out what their values are. Mm, that's what I do with my coaching clients. Okay. Yeah, they all have to do that. Okay, great. Yeah. So it's all intertwined, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Because once you know what your values are, then you can get clarity on what you want to happen. Then you implement rules and rules are family's best friends because children then know how to be successful. So it's super important that there is a discipline there, but it's a positive discipline. And it's all about us as parents being in charge, but not in control. Yeah. Can you talk That's, to the difference? Because yeah. I think this is where sometimes with some of the positive parenting stuff, people get confused. Yeah. What's the difference between being in charge yeah. and being in control? So in control, naughty steps, bribing, but what do you see as the... So as a bit of a mantra with my clients, I say that you need to learn to use the power of your influence to get your children into good habits and behaviours rather than the influence of your power. So if you are in control as a parent, it often means you are powerful. And anyone can be powerful. You just need to threaten your children, scare them, Yeah. Punish them. Yeah. Bribe them. Yeah. All those things will work in the moment, but long term, long term, the implications are disastrous. Because short term, it looks like compliance. It looks like you've got a very beautifully behaved child, doesn't it? But actually, you know, we don't want obedience. We want children to be cooperative. But here's the thing we want them to have that intrinsic motivation that they are doing what they're doing because it feels good for them. And too many of our children do things in order to please us. Setting up the people pleasing, which oh my we God, were talking that's right. about and, earlier. And here's a top tip. Please don't ever say to your children, I'm proud of you. 
interesting I say that why why not <laughs> it's, it's not the worst thing it's not the worst thing you could do we want children to do things not to please you yeah but we want them to do it because they know it's good for them and yeah. they are intrinsically motivated to be fair to myself yeah. sometimes I, I yeah. do say I'm proud of you yeah I won't anymore but sometimes I say I hope you're proud of yourself is that better you nailed it okay so we need just to say to your kids, you know, I hope you feel proud of that. You know, that spelling result you got, 9 out of 10, it was a huge improvement on last week's 7 out of 10. And do you know how you achieved that? Through all your hard work, getting up and practicing 10 minutes before school every day. That was real focus and determination. You should feel proud of yourself. So it's raising our children, and this is what I think you've evidently done with Sam, it's raising our children, and I think very clearly demonstrated by his job, as you described, it didn't fit him, to have their own sense of self, to have their own sense of what they're good at, as opposed to outsourcing that in some way by always looking to avoid punishment or get praise. Well, can you imagine a 23-year-old losing his first job and actually picking himself up because this kid's got grit? You know, we talk about grit and resilience, Mm. but how do you teach that? It's through making mistakes in life. It's strong self-esteem. So they have the ability to keep pushing through the boundaries, to accept when they get it wrong, to acknowledge when they make mistakes... And to keep pushing beyond the realms of possibility. And that is what a growth mindset is all about. So I wanted to ask you about seeing the world as you see it. And obviously you interact with hundreds of parents, you know, every week and month. What do you think as mothers in my generation, for the next generation, we really need to be instilling in them in order to, you know, look at what's coming on our horizon, their horizon, it's sort of crazy and it feels quite scary to me sometimes. What with your vantage yeah. point and the things that we really need to be getting right now for our sort of under 10s? It's a huge question there. Yeah. I think everything boils down to a strong sense of self-worth. Because in order to cope in 21st century life, our children need to feel good about themselves. And when children feel good about themselves and have a strong self-esteem, all those values that we know are critically important to being a, I'm going to say an inverted commas, successful adult, all those values will come through, such as kindness. Kindness is a completely underrated brand just now. We live in a society where I don't see an awful lot of kindness. They will be compassionate and emotionally intelligent when they feel good about themselves. They will be able to deal with all their friendship difficulties, which they will encounter. They will be able to cope with transition and be flexible and adaptable. And all those listeners out there who, you know, have the 10-year-olds will be transitioning into secondary school soon. So everything about parenting is building up your children with a strong sense of self-worth. Think for themselves and they can act for themselves. And that is critical to them coping with each stage of their childhood transition. So whether you've got a little toddler like yours transitioning primary school, whether you've got a primary school child transitioning into secondary, or whether you've got a secondary child transitioning into further education or into the job market. Everything is about getting them thinking for themselves, acting for themselves, problem solving, and they can only do that when they feel good about themselves. 
So my kind of top tip for all parents is build self-worth. And the way you can do that is through descriptive praise. Brilliant. Thank you. And the last question, which I ask everyone, okay, is if you could give just one gift to all the mums in the whole world, what would that one thing be and why? My gift would be every mother accessing a positive parenting course. Wouldn't that be fantastic? And How, I, what do you think that would change in the world? Oh my goodness, having a toolkit of skills to be able to connect and communicate with your child is the most important thing. And what irritates me is that positive parenting classes are still seen, uh, there's a little bit of a stigma about them still, that they're still seen for problem families and nothing could be further from the truth. All of us need help to fill up our toolkit. And my vision is that we will make positive parenting as acceptable as doing your NCT or, you know, antenatal class. And the government need to be shot for kind of closing down all the children's centres. So I just want every parent with a child, you know, two years and up to be given the gift of a positive parenting class. And society would have far less mental health issues and disorders, that the benefit would be far reaching for all of us that would be fantastic wouldn't it well Elaine (laughs) thank you so much pleasure lovely talking to you Zoe thank you so that's it thank you for listening to the episode I hope you really enjoyed it and if you did please do leave a review on iTunes it does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content if you were listening to that episode thinking about one of your friends that they might benefit from what we were chatting about then just tag them in on instagram my bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there people often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends so if that's you then please do i feel like the guests that we have on the podcast their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide so help me make that happen i'd be very grateful And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my program which is a three-month program called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care. Hi, I'm Lauren. And I'm Nicole. And if you enjoy this show, you will love our podcast, Self Care Club. Every week, we trial a different form of self care and report back on the results. We've tried everything from cuddle therapy, setting boundaries, laughter yoga, and many more. Two friends who rarely agree on anything, testing out the world of self care so you don't have to. We've even written a book dedicated to self care practices that cost you nothing. You can listen to Self Care Club wherever you get your podcasts. Or to purchase our book, search Have You Tried This on Amazon.